0: This is Stephanie Hansen and you're listening to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. And today I'm with Elise Shostrom, and she is the redhead, I suspect, from Redhead Creamery. Welcome to the program, Elise. Thank you for having me. I have been just dying to talk to you for honestly, like since I started this podcast, because <laughs> I think the first I heard about you was from Stephanie March, just raving about this cheese. And then I, I swear I was like, I think I might've been in Vermont or I was somewhere out of state and I saw it. And then I was looking at the label and they were like, made in Minnesota. I was like, how can this be possible? So welcome to the
1: program. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, Vermont is almost... I lived there for two years, but it still feels like a second home to me. Oh, that's
0: funny. My daughter went to college there for a little bit.
1: Oh, cool.
0: There's a lot of great things happening in Vermont on the food scene, too, speaking of cheese. yes, Was your family into the cheese business, or tell me about your trajectory and how you landed here.
1: Sure. So my family uh, was and still is in the dairy business milking cows, and I knew that i i loved that growing up and we were in 4-h and showed dairy cattle uh, as youth and i knew that i wanted that for whatever potential children i may have in the future and um, didn't necessarily want to milk cows every day because i thought you know seeing how we had to be home every single day at certain times of the day in order to get those cows milked and i wanted to have a little more freedom uh, as I grew up, my future self should have said, "Being a cheesemaker will not give you that much more freedom," <laughs> <laughs> but it does give me a little. <laughs> but I, I visited Crave Brothers Farmstead Cheese on a National 4H trip when I was a senior in high school, and that was my moment of realizing I would love to make cheese on our farm, and really studied food marketing uh, at the University of Minnesota and worked for several other cheese companies in the meantime to kind of learn the goods and the bads of of what they've learned before doing it myself on my family farm.
0: And is your system like a closed loop where like you literally make the milk and then turn that milk into the cheese and you do everything right on your farm?
1: Yeah. So we, we are farmstead. So we are only using our own cow's milk for our cheese making. We only use about 10% of the milk that we produce for Redhead Creamery. And the rest of that milk goes to Bongard's Creamery Co-op. We're part sure. of that co-op as well. Uh, so the rest of it goes to cheese as well. Uh, and so we joke that Vanguard's the second Minnesota's second best cheese, because of course, you know, we have to claim that we're the best, but sure. no, we love, we love all Minnesota cheeses and Vonguards specifically really was vital in our starting making cheese ourselves. They were extremely supportive and hauled milk to the University of Minnesota for us so that we could practice at the pilot plant in St. Paul using our own milk to practice making cheese. So they're, they've they been very supportive of a co-op for us. And we, we love that.
0: That's really cool. So people, you talked about the full-time job, more than a full-time job of owning cattle and having a dairy farm. And I met a guy once on a vacation and he was telling me like what it took him to be able to go on vacation for a week and who had to cover for him and how that worked. And I remembered thinking like, nobody thinks about this stuff when you have animals, right? Mm-hmm. And and that the milk needs to get out. Like that's how they continue to produce.
1: Right. Yeah. You need, you can't just let them go for the day and because everyone <laughs> will suffer from that the, the next day. So yeah, it's a, it's really a 24 hour job of making sure our animals are well cared for. We have to put in extra time and extra care to making sure our animals are dry and warm and well cared for so that they can thrive through this type of year.
0: When it's really cold like this, do you have to put them in a barn? Or Because I, I mean, do cows go in a barn every night?
1: So we have um, several different options of housing for whatever age of animal we have our milking cows are all what's in a freestyle barn so it's basically a roof over their head with curtains on the sides so that we can adjust those based on the weather but they have the freedom to roam all over the barn and that's why it's called a freestyle barn uh, and then they have sand bedding that they lay in and uh, have free access to food and everything as they please but so when it's cold we'll close those curtains and it's quite comfortable in that barn uh, in the winter time some of them have the you know some are younger stock they spend a little more time outside but also have shelter as well and they're fully bedded with warm fresh straw And they really snuggle up close when when it gets a little bit colder out because they've got quite the body heat (laughs) so they can keep each other pretty warm.
0: It makes sense that what an animal eats is what gets produced from its byproduct. And I would Mm -hmm. assume that that's similar for cheese. So do you have to plant uh, specific types of crops that therefore make the milk taste better that makes your cheese taste better?
1: Yes and no. We grow uh, corn for mm-hmm. our cattle and we we turn it all into corn silage. And so we are able to grow almost, I think we're probably at 75 to 80% of the feed that we feed our cows, we are able to grow ourselves. Um, and so we turn that all into corn silage, and, which is a fermented corn. And that allows easy digestibility for our cows, and uh, allows them to produce a really good milk. And the good thing with how we have it set up is that our our milk is mostly consistent. And I say mostly because it it does fluctuate with the weather. Uh, during the winter time, cows actually prefer cold weather, and um, they're spending a lot less of their energy keeping cool. And so we have really high fat and protein components in our milk during the winter time which is awesome when you're making cheese. Uh-huh. So I actually prefer making a lot of cheese in the wintertime because uh, we get a better yield and just a better tasting product. Uh, in the summertime, they're burning off energy trying to keep cool and their milk will have lower components. They'll have less, a little bit less protein and fat, um, primarily just from keeping their bodies cooler. And so we'll notice that in our milk. Uh, we will notice a little bit color change depending on time of year in the milk, because the rate at which that corn is fermented in the fall, we've harvested the corn. It might not be completely fermented yet by the time uh, the cows eat it versus the next spring it's Mm -hmm. fermented all winter long. So we'll see a little bit of that color change in the milk as well, based on the nutrients that they were able to digest out of that.
0: So was it a hard sell for your family to say, gee, I want to stay in the family business, but I'm going to do cheese?
1: No. I mean, my parents had four daughters and they were just thrilled that one of us still (laughs) wanted to come back home and be part of the family business. And I do, I still remember them saying, you know, this is great, but you're going to have to learn it because we know how to milk cows and the dairy industry, uh, but we don't know a lot about cheese. So That's going to be your job to figure that out if you want to bring it back home to our farm. And it's an awesome way to diversify our farm as well. We could have easily come home, built another freestyle barn and doubled the amount of cows and just produced more milk. But that doesn't give us much flexibility in the market. And so with having the cheese company here now as well, we're able to kind of lean on one or the other depending on what that financial season looks like or what the businesses are looking like. Yeah, you know, minor. You know, just those things. <laughs> so, but I mean, that's really, you know, that's really helped us a lot by being diverse. And I think that that's been a great thing.
0: So you've got a core line of cheeses, I'm assuming, and mm-hmm. then things that are seasonal. And then you probably have some fun ones. Can you just walk us through some of your best sellers?
1: Sure, so- Our core and probably bestsellers as well, Um, our Lucky Linda Clothbound Cheddar was our very first cheddar and named after my mom, Linda. She's my assistant cheesemaker and a clothbound cheddar. So it's an English style cheddar, a little drier, more savory than a typical American English or not even English American style cheddar. That's typically a little more sweet. And uh, we have fresh cheese curds. We're in the Midwest. We have to have those. And then our Little Lucy Brie is extremely popular and one of our favorites to to eat and make. And that that might be what Stephanie first uh, it was brought to you. She she is actually I like to uh, give her a little credit to the first big launch of our Little Lucy Brie. She wrote an awesome article about it. How you should buy two, and I'll never forget that. And so. Uh, our brie really has been a huge part of our business and Lucy is our oldest daughter. She is now eight. So she considers it Lucy Brie instead of little Lucy Brie. Um, but I always tease people too, who question if they should eat the mold uh, on the outside of a brie because my eight-year-old will eat it. So I know they can too.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. people do. People do get, they're creeped out by it or some just yeah. eat it with abandon others scrape try to scrape it off it's just part of the cheese making right
1: it is and and without that mold it would not be a brie so you kind of need it just and, go ahead and eat that's, it. yeah and that's even that's where all the the calcium is actually in a brie the calcium all like disperses itself out to that rind so you know, you want the health benefits at the same time of enjoying this good-tasting cheese. So, eat the rind, right? So,
0: we need a shirt that says "Eat the Rind." Yeah, <laughs> I like it. What What are some of the cheeses? Because I know you're. I mean, you win awards a lot, which is Thanks. really great. <laughs> and you won an award, I believe it was for a Munster recently. Yes, Can you talk about some of the other more exotic cheeses, we'll call them, that you make?
1: Yeah, yeah. So our North Fork Munster is a seasonal cheese, so we're not making it right now, uh, but will again come May. But it is a whiskey-washed Munster. We use whiskey from Panther Distillery in Osakis, who's very close to us. Uh, Their Minnesota 14 is a corn-based whiskey, and we literally dunk those cheeses in the whiskey. And it really just provides this fun, unique flavor characteristic to it. But then we'll also wash that cheese with a bacteria, which makes it orange and funky as well. It is probably the most fun cheese for us because it's the most unique. And it's also the most painful because it's so much work, uh, washing all those little cheeses and um, making sure they turn out and they have the perfect environment for us to enjoy. But It's so rewarding when we have a stinky ooey gooey monster at the end of the day. (laughs) That's when we nerd out over our cheese. Yeah. Then another one that we wash with whiskey, which is our other uh, cheese that we've been fortunate enough to win some awards with, is our St. Anthony. And we wash that one with the same whiskey, actually. um, But it's a harder cheese that gets almost Parmesan-like as it ages. But it's very savory, meaty uh, cheese that we love as well and it's an american original we've created its own recipe specifically for that cheese and it's been really rewarding for us and we love it so that's that kind of is, of fun when
0: you say it's an american original is that to to mean that no one else has done anything like that before in america in cheese
1: basically it, and it, it there's a a category within the american cheese society competition where you can enter cheeses that you feel have complete originality from any other cheeses uh, and that you didn't follow a specific recipe for it and you kind of adapted it to your own liking and so we entered that cheese into that category and got second place in the category which was so cool so that is so cool (laughs) it's fun when those days that you you think you totally screwed up a cheese make and then they turn out being your award-winning favorite cheeses. Those are the fun days.
0: (laughs) Do you have some cheeses that are just failures that you have to scrap?
1: We haven't really had anything that we just completely threw out. We've had a few that because of mechanical failure where a pump stopped working right or it didn't allow us to cool or heat properly, and we've kind of adapted the recipe for that and tried to make something anyways, Uh, and go with it. We've done that and then just don't make it again. But that's, it's the easiest way to learn (laughs) is to, to screw up every now and then and figure out what happened and how to adapt because of it.
0: That's a really healthy attitude. You know, you seem to have this whole package here where you have the quality piece, you have the control of the farming piece, you have the ability to make really beautiful cheeses. And then you went to school for food marketing. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Were you in a special program? And do you think you would be where you are today without that education?
1: I was advised by my food science advisor to study food marketing because anyone can make cheese, but you're going to have to get it sold. And I tell every uh, prospective cheesemaker or business owner that. Uh, if we meet with people because it's so true and it still is I mean you can make cheese to to your heart's content but if it doesn't go anywhere what good is making it so I think it was awesome advice I love marketing anyways so that was the the fun part of it Uh, and I think that my experience through that education did a lot for me I do believe our time spent in Vermont and Wisconsin as well, did a lot also because we were able to bring those experiences back home to Minnesota where that was just starting to begin. The local food movement and artisan products really hadn't bloomed yet. And so that timing was wonderful for us and when we got going with that. And so I think all of that together really helped get us to where we're at.
0: What do you think are some of the takeaways like when you're coaching other new businesses that are just getting started do you have like these are the five things that you do or don't do
1: I don't know if I have a set number on it but I do always uh, encourage people to ask questions of other people who are already doing what they're looking at and to ask what went wrong for those those people so that you can learn from their mistakes Uh, because people won't openly tell you their mistakes without right. being asked if you ask them they'll likely go on <laughs> forever about it and I think that's where you can really learn how to avoid some of those common mistakes really that can happen within certain industries um, and to learn from their successes as well obviously but I think the mistakes are really what can help you learn quickly among that, uh, I always encourage people to just to continually share, And talk with people about what it is you are wanting to do or accomplish. Um, Because saying it out loud and sharing it with others, those people may be connected to someone that you have no idea. And it might be 10 years later, but they're going to come back and connect you with someone that might change your life. And I've seen that happen many times in the last five to eight years. And it's just so cool to... Continually network with people and not realizing how important that was. Those little conversations. Did you ever read with,
0: that book? Um, the book was called The Secret, I think, and it was the power of intention.
1: I have one of my best friends from college uh, did read it, so I feel like I did, <laughs> but um, but yes, I totally get that point.
0: Of and it is intention. the book kind of became sort of like a little mini cult, but yes. the idea, <laughs> and I think you just really described it. And if I look back on my life and the things I've cataloged as goals and how I've achieved them, it's exactly by what you said. Like when you start talking about something and when you start idealizing it and thinking about what that would look like or feel like or taste like or smell like, if you were doing these things, they just have a way of sort of occurring
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and I think it's about like, you put that energy out into the universe and then it sort of starts to coalesce and it does happen in small ways, but I totally agree with you. And I think that's something kind of, that's unique to women too, because mm-hmm. we're as this is going to be sexist and I'm fine with that. I tend <laughs> to be better communicators and just that idea of the, the putting what you want out there. And then also asking questions and talking about successes and failures. In our business, in the beginning, my husband was always asking questions and he was always sort of self-deprecating about it and kind of pretending like, well, I don't really know how this works. so why don't you tell me? Because he was gathering all of this knowledge. And I was, I remember thinking, well, why are you giving away the family secrets, you know? And he (laughs) looked at me one day and he said, the best piece of advice I can give you is he said, there is no secrets. You're mm-hmm. not going to do anything that everybody else hasn't already thought of, wanted to do, done. There are all of this learning out there for you. You just have to be willing to ask about it and to be willing to, to hear the answers.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally true.
0: Yeah. And I think once you kind of get past the that there's any proprietary secrets necessarily, you know, I mean, sure, right. you've got your recipe, but you still, even if someone knew exactly what you do, they'd still have to do it or replicate it in the exact way you did it. And that's not easy.
1: Exactly, and it's not even possible unless they tried doing it in our cheese plant with our milk, the way we do it. You know, right. you can you can follow a recipe in any cheese plant, and you're going to get a different product. So yeah, yeah, it is. and we have it's all unique.
0: It's a living thing, right? If you think about it. So in terms of marketing, do you like? How do you get the word out about your cheeses? Do you market to just specialty stores? Is it brand to consumer? how do you get the word out? And does social media play a part in that at all?
1: Yeah, we kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, this past year, we have really focused a lot of our time and dollars on Facebook specifically, because um, we started a delivery route service uh, because of COVID uh, and the literal need of needing to move cheese. <laughs> and so we've utilized that quite a bit. We. We work with a distributor in the Twin Cities that gets our cheeses out to the Lunds and Byerly's and Kowalski's and um, hy and Jerry's of the worlds. And then we have uh, many direct customers that we work with as well, cheese shops and meat shops that we, we work with. Um, and then we also have a shop right on our farm and that's been a little more quiet in the last few months. But during the summertime it's, it's very active and we have a cheese shop where we have all of the cheeses that we make and then some because we always feature other Minnesota cheeses as well. And then we have other fun foods and items that go great with, with cheese or fun food related items to just highlight all the other fun local producers in Central or around all of Minnesota uh, that we get to represent, which is super fun. So we'll
0: put, a, we'll put yeah. a link to the location of the farm in the show notes so that awesome. people can find you. You mentioned, uh, Facebook. Did you guys, am I correct in that you started a, a CSA for your cheeses or like a farm share?
1: We have not done, um, anything like that. I know Alomar and shepherd's way have either both a CSA or, uh, some form of that. Does that um, appeal to you? Well, we, we did start a cheese of the month club. That's been, it's been slow to start just because we just released it about last spring probably, but we're kind of using that same concept where whatever cheeses we want to highlight right now is what will be included in this box. Yeah, Um, And yeah, I think that's, it's, it's fun for us because we get to move product that we, we need to, um, but we can also play with the season and, you know, grilled cheese month is coming up. So we're going to feature something specific to that, uh, for the people who are in our cheese of the month club and uh, just highlight fun things, give them fun ideas on what they can do with our cheeses. It's just really fun for us and fun to get the feedback from our customers.
0: Yeah. Boxes have really taken off during this pandemic. I mean, yes. they always kind of were for holiday, but it seems like a lot of people are craving Minnesota-made, local, Midwest-made products, and they get them through these collaborate- collaborations with these boxes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've really seen that with uh, a Minnesota cheese box that we started last summer and featured one every two months or so of a mixture of all the other cheese companies of Minnesota so that we have one cheese of each in that box. and. And it's been overwhelming, the excitement people have for all of these cheeses. And so that's been really fun to see.
0: I appreciate, too, I uh, subscribe to The Heavy Table. And Mm -hmm. I have appreciated that you've been a sponsor for them to help them get their newsletters out. It's been really interesting, just the whole Minnesota made and Minnesota maker scene, because people have had a really challenging time. Even people yes. that, you know, you'd think, oh, they're in grocery stores, they'll be fine because the grocery stores have been so busy, but no one can sample. No one can talk to their buyers. It's been hard. Have you experienced that as well?
1: Yeah, that's it's, it is challenging. And especially last spring when all the restaurants first closed, that was a huge blow to all of us and figuring out what do we do now? <laughs> and, and And really, that's why we started that delivery service so that we could get an avenue out, and we're two hours from the Twin Cities, so we're really away as well from where the people are. And we've really seen that with other makers as well just trying to get their product out there. And I think things have improved and there has been a ton of support from Minnesota, especially We see that and we love that. Uh, and so continually trying to go with that and see what is that going to look like this year and how do we how do we create some new fun, Ways to help people continue to support us and the other makers around us,
0: do you think that you'll be in a better position long term because of this in some ways? like it forced you to kind of look at all of your distribution channels?
1: absolutely you know we we literally didn't have an order from our distributor the one week and thought uh, too too much of our life is on this order mm-hmm. and I think what's ironic about that is, I think it was two months prior to that, I was literally thinking about that, how we really need to look for some more avenues so that not so much of our business is focused on our distributor. (laughs) And so when that moment came, it was like, oh, now what? (laughs) So, So to answer your question, yes, absolutely. I mean, it forced us to quickly react and to build something that we hope and think that can be sustainable in what we're doing. And it's really the, it was like the return of the milkman and having dairy products brought right back to your door. And it's bizarre to me how much it's really taken off and how much people yeah. love that. And so, and how much of the like, we're going to go with it.
0: All the food arts that were sort of our grandmas that were cultivating, like, you know, our sourdough bread making and making our own sauerkrauts and all the things that our grandmas yes. did.
1: It's kind of, yeah, funny. I love that.
0: Are there uh, two or three makers that are not cheese makers that you really find in your pantry or on your table a lot?
1: Um, well, I find a lot of our local breweries <laughs> on our table for sure. Um, Goat Ridge, and we've got Burr Vineyards and Copper Trail. They're all real local to us. But in terms of different foods, we always have Red Table Meat on our at our place. He's so great. I'm to think of. He kind of reminds me of you
0: in some regards in that what he does with meat, you seem to be able to do with cheese.
1: Sure. Cool. Well, I appreciate that because I have a lot of respect for Mike. Yeah, (laughs) He's pretty great. But yeah, I mean, we feature so many that that's just what we always have. Smoothies, uh, sunflower oil. uh, They're really close to us as well. I love them too.
0: What a great family.
1: And they've been able to diversify quickly and turn around. Uh, which is awesome to hear about, and it's exciting to see that growth. Yeah, he.
0: When I interviewed him, and I think it was about two years ago, probably now, I just, I, I just had that sense of the fire in him, and you know, he talked about the just challenges of the family farm, and how many times he'd come close to almost you know not being able to do the farm and mm-hmm. and then he would think of another way to utilize the product and it was just it was such a great podcast i think it's season 1 if anyone wants to go back and listen and you know the the microwave popcorn product that they have is just fantastic oh
1: it's so I just,
0: good yeah i think it's so good too i can't believe I mean, I hate when you get microwave popcorn and it's got that orange film in it and it's so gross. (laughs) It's like, why would anyone eat that when there's this other just perfectly delicious, it tastes like buttered popcorn right out of the bag and it's not anything gross. It's just sunflower oil.
1: And it doesn't stick in your teeth. Yes,
0: (laughs) exactly right. Well, I appreciate your time today. It's great to talk to you. I will be releasing this podcast um, probably end of March, beginning of April. So I'm a little ways out, but... I just, I'm a fan. I'll let Steph know that you appreciate her because that's always good yes. for writers to hear, right?
1: Thank you. Yes, yeah, thanks be for great. being
0: with us today. Okay.
1: Thank you, Stephanie.
0: All right, bye-bye.
1: Bye.